welcome to the Nerd Party. and Space, the Nerd Party's dedicated Doctor Who podcast. I'm Jessica Nunn. And I'm her husband and co-host, Philip Gilthus. Well, darling, what month is it? It is August. An August month. I legitimately had to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if you don't know, darling, I do set up a calendar right there on our Doctor Who altar over there. I do see the, yes, I I do see you changing the calendar out on the uh, Doctor Who altar, yes. Yes, for folks who, well, I doubt you're on my Instagram, but if you are, uh, every month I change the calendar by replacing the Doctor and uh, the Doctor Men book on the shelf next to the TARDIS, and so it being the eighth month, I have Paul McGann's eighth Doctor figure and Doctor Eighth next to the TARDIS, so we'll be uh, <laughs> celebrating our eighth month with our eighth Doctor talk, but of course this is kind of a an a, uh, odd, for lack of a better word, period in Doctor Who. Yes, the, the wilderness years. Yes, and so as we all know, um, every time we talk about a Doctor a month, we base it off of Richard Carrier's uh, YouTube videos, docu-videos, I never know the right word. But because it's such an August month, oh, it's August, sorry, Stop I keep that. reading it wrong. Stop. We have Richard actually here. Richard, thank Yay. you for joining us here. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very honored. Um, thank you so much for covering... Uh, given a mention to my videos and I'm glad that they could uh, provide a basis for really thought-provoking discussions that you've been having. It's interesting as well to get a perspective from elsewhere as well. I mean a lot of what I've grown up with certainly in the wilderness years seem to be purely sort of UK centric so to have a a different view from America is also interesting. Yeah and it'll be interesting because uh, Jessica and I both came of age fandom wise in the New Who era. Didn't take me long to, to go back into classic yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I still struggle a little bit with classic, which, Richard, is why I find your videos so useful, because you're so enthusiastic <laughs> about it. And I'm like, all right, I'll look at it in a different light. <laughs> so it's good to have such a classic person, so we have yes, sort of a different, much that so. different perspective. Someone who yeah. did the reverse journey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so let's get into it and your video. And obviously, folks, you know, we will always have a link so you can watch the video uh, yourself. Now, of course, this was, to date, your longest video and um yes, and the most co- work as well yes i'm sure yeah, covering me about six and a half months to do this one. <laughs> holy cow <laughs> it, it was to be fair the writing took a lot longer than usual because I, I i have a sort of a rough structure that sort of developed when i wrote the william hartnell one the, the sort of first one um but this one obviously covered more than just the usual you know the the last doctor leaves they come up with a new doctor, they cast the new doctor, they have some stories and then they leave. There was so mm. much more to it. And because it was something that uh, covered so many different media, 
as well. I had to do a lot, a lot of research just to make sure I wasn't going to make any mistakes. And I usually don't make them. I did make a mistake in this one with the 3D glasses, which many people have pointed out to me. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it was it was the wrong type of 3D that I mentioned. It was based on. Uh Uh, Apparently, it was the Pullrich effect, not the anaglyph method. (laughs) Yeah, generally, I try to be as accurate as possible. Just me, you know. It's you know, mistakes slip through. Now you're going to do the George Lucas thing and like five months later and make a change. I'm kidding. Um, I, I've been tempted in the past because you, you you see it, and as a as a big you know fan mm-hmm. as myself, to have other people point out, oh, you've got this wrong. It's really embarrassing and cringeworthy. Mm. Um, there are a few others, like for example, I, I've been reminded of this probably about six or seven <laughs> times now. Where, an earlier one where I was talking about the Web of Fear, and I said it was the last story of a particular season, and it wasn't. And uh, yeah, I get a lot of people going, uh, I think we'll find. And I have thought, oh, can I just... No, I won't, because for one thing, the video would all get... The only time I had to do that was with the very first video, the uh, the original opening. Mm. Uh, this was the introduction to the to the video. It had a, um, like a pop version of the Doctor Who theme, mm-hmm. and that was uh, copyright claimed, and uh... they, they didn't... Uh, they didn't accept my dispute that, you know, I wasn't going to make any money from it. But uh, mm-hmm. So I had to upload it again with the proper theme. And so that's the last time I try and be cool and <laughs> down with the kids. Um, <laughs> I heard that. I was Actually, I was listening to your podcast in the car because mm-hmm. we've got a swish car where we can Bluetooth our phones Ooh. through the speakers <laughs> and stuff. So we were driving along listening to... Uh, and uh, my wife agreed with you completely, uh, by the way, Jessica, uh, regarding Ace... And uh, comparison with Mel in the, in the last one that you looked at. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and just talking about fandom, because like I said, it's interesting to talk to someone who's who's totally into it. Um, I mean, because I, I don't know, inter- between beginner and intermediate, what if there's going to be a, a, a stage between those? Um, whereas, you know, Star Trek, I would I would say I'm a Star Trek expert. I would say that. But, but, but being mm. at the reverse, you know, I'm sure we make a ton of mistakes in this podcast just because we're <laughs> new and we I'm sure we say things wrong. And so sometimes we hear about it. But I'm like, you know what? We're still kind of new. I mean, yeah. you know, you, you can gig me on my Star Trek podcast, but this one, you know, <laughs> give us a curve. Yeah, I'm, I'm also hoping that if we, you know, our, our British listeners are just shaking their heads and just going bloody americans and just moving right along that's right you know, we'll, we'll get to that we'll get to that when we talk about the doctor who movie um but oh, yeah. but before we can, but before we get to that cart and horse so this is an interesting time because i think one thing you t- I mean, you know we're not gonna do your whole video courses so we're gonna want people to watch it themselves but mm. there's this interesting thing you talk about that i don't think i really have ever thought about so you know sylvester mccoy um you know it's canceled for lack of a better word doctor who mm. on tv and sort of, not that they call it this necessarily, at, in 1989, but sort of the end of Classic Who. But the way your video portrays it is that it wasn't like, oh, Doctor Who's over, you know, let's explore yeah. the things. It was kind of like, maybe it's over, maybe it's not, maybe yeah. it's coming back, maybe. And I thought that was sort of this weird thing of, like, the fans were kind of like, is it... And, and, you know, I don't know if British TV is the same now as it was then, where, you know, you can have these year-long absences mm. of a show, um, you know. Looking at you, 13. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, so it's there, there maybe it was almost this thought, like, well, maybe it'll come back in two years with, you know, Sylvester McCoy or another doctor. But that's leaving the fandom hanging by a thread. I think it was a, I think it was a bit of a combination of different sort of processes going on, different things happening. From what I understand... Uh, obviously, you, you've got some people, very powerful people like Jonathan Powell and Michael Grade, who uh, I think a lot of people misunderstand had actually left before the show was sort of formally cancelled, um, but he'd very much laid the groundwork for that to happen. Uh, but Jonathan Powell wanted to get rid of it, and he was very 
clear about it. He was the controller of 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 the BBC. I think uh, had he actually become the controller? I'm not sure. I'll have to check back my video. Um, but yeah, he he was in power, and he wanted just to get rid of it completely. He wanted to go away. Um, he didn't care if there was an audience for it and didn't really believe that there was an audience for it and didn't really want to appeal to that audience. But I think there were enough of people to recognise that, you know, Doctor Who was quite a moneymaker for the BBC and still is. It's one of the, their biggest exports, for for example. Mm. And one of the issues that came about, though, was that at the time, the the uh, the BBC as a, as a sort of public broadcast is, is relatively unique in the world, I think the closest equivalent you have in America is PBS, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in the sense that it is publicly funded. But whereas PB- oh, yes. PBS is, is funded by donations, I believe, mm-hmm. yes. uh, yeah. sort of no they have fees drives and things. Don't they? <laughs> yeah, we, we we obviously have a license fee for the BBC from which they you know, so that means that there's a lot of political oversight into it and a lot of interference from time to time in their day to day processes. And at that time, the late 80s, early 90s. There was very much a sort of capitalist free market attitude, which was basically let let's reduce this socialist organization <laughs> as much as possible. So, as I mentioned in the video, uh, a lot of um, there was sort of like r- rules and policies put down where the BBC had to hire private production companies to make a lot of their content, and so I think that people like Jonathan Powell took advantage of that in order to get things like Doctor Who cancelled, to say, well, we'll give it to a, a private production company at some point. And so the people that perhaps would have restrained him from completely cancelling it were placated and, and withheld, in a way, um, by the promise, uh, this sort of vague promise that it would one day come back. And I think, really, if it hadn't been for Philip Siegel, I don't think it, it would have come back in 1996, at least. Um, I think we'd probably got a rather terrible directed video release. <laughs> like, like, like. Uh, did you see the airs? Was it the air zone solution that you watched? Or? Yo, yeah, Liz Shaw's. Oh, yeah. yeah. We yeah. would have got. We would have got something of a similar production value as that, because that's what the Dark Dimension was going to be. That would have come out in 1993. Yeah, as, um, as brilliant as Mark Gaddis is, especially in Doctor Who and other stuff as well. But in Doctor Who, you know, we'd love to be like you. Know, you have Mark Gaddis in front of you. You have all of the great stuff. Who you would be like. <laughs> so anyway, about the Liz Shaw's. But he's like, oh no. <laughs> all questions have to be after 2000 uh, yeah. well i mean i I, pre, I mean those people people like him they did keep it alive oh, somewhat yes. in yes. that in that period but uh yeah no it's not always uh the best <laughs> he he writes and stars in much better doctor who things but anyway um so uh, yeah so the, the wilderness years now because this is always of course my analogy because it's me star trek but you know i'm sort of thinking of like so you know after the syndication of the original series um you sort of had the the 70s basically um mm. you know before mm. the motion picture of course it could have even been a tv series with uh, the star trek uh, phase 2 which eventually became the movie yeah. but anyway but that's kind of when the star trek fandom or fandom really blew up you know you had your first star trek conventions you know all this great stuff that mm. you know blah 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 but anyway so this wilderness period like and I know you were younger, but both in your own experience and then kind of in your research and, and fans you've talked to, you know, is this kind of when the fandom kind of coalesced or at least the, the diehards really let their voice be known and other things started to develop? Or was it just the fan base was always there and now that the TV wasn't there, they kind of flexed their muscles in other ways? Well, I think it was very similar to Star Trek in that sense uh, that, you know, you, you it, it 
went away. It was cast aside by people that perhaps didn't recognise how important it was to a lot of people. And those people that, that loved it carried the flame kind of thing. And in the end, kind of just by by people power and by, you know, just being present, kind of in a way engineered its return, if not directly engineered its return. But how it might be different is, of course, I mean, I, I'm not as, as much of a Star Trek expert as yourself, mm. um, but having run for three years, I think the fandom of Star Trek perhaps established itself a little bit stronger after it had already been finished right um when it was out on syndication and things as you say in the 70s whereas the doctor who fandom had really uh established itself quite strongly before the end of the show right uh, in 1989 and in fact in it, it, it led to many good things it also meant led to many bad things because uh, as you may have seen in an earlier video which he must be very embarrassed about now even the great chris chibnall was actually on <laughs> yes. live television criticizing <laughs> Uh, Little did he know, the, uh, yeah, <laughs> people would be criticizing him. Yes. Exactly, exactly. Uh, he's on the shoes on the other foot now. But um, <laughs> he, uh, yeah, you know, you had a very vocal fan base, and you saw the campaigns and things like that to try and bring it back. In fact, the the hiatus uh, in Colin Baker's run, which, as far as I understand it, was intended to be an outright cancellation, and it was only really at the eleventh hour that the BBC, sensing a bit of a PR crisis backtracked and said oh no it's just going to be rested for 18 months before it came back you know michael gray basically wanted to get rid of it and there was a lot of uh, fan uh involvement in trying to make sure that it came back that it wasn't cancelled including the terrible terrible charity single Um, uh, (laughs) but you know that's one of the so so in a way it was already kind of established in that fervent before it went off the air i think it probably for a few years uh, following the cancellation, I think everyone, because everyone sort of thought, you know, well, it's going to come back in one form or another, uh, kind of just waited and waited and waited. <laughs> and it kind of was in a bit of a limbo state for a while. And then after the 30th anniversary, it seemed less likely than ever. And I think in a way it kind of died down a little bit. I mean, I wasn't a fan as such then, and I certainly... I was very, very young. I mean, right. I, I was born in 1984, so I was only nine on the on the anniversary. And I, I had no understanding. Of it. And there wasn't the internet and things like that, certainly not where I lived then. So you know, my fandom, in a way, was kind of in a bubble, really, until until the modern era with broadband and everything, where you could actually talk to other people more, more obviously. Mm-hmm. It was something that was much more niche. And, of course... Um, I imagine there was the equivalent in a, in America, but uh, in England at the time, science fiction and, and general the general thing that's popular now, like comic books and sci-fi and all that, was seen as very... Well, we, they used to call them anoraks in this country. <laughs> this idea of um, very socially awkward, pathetic, unmasculine men, because it was always men, that was never thought of as the stereotype as a, as a woman, were you know, somehow pariahs or something like that so um yeah fandom was strange in the 90s it was kind of an underground thing in a way and people used to meet i suppose in dark rooms to watch uh, <laughs> ninth generation copies of uh you know because you couldn't i that bbc kept releasing the videos of classic stories but they were quite expensive at the time and they weren't as complete and you didn't get all the bonus features and things like that you get on the dvds now so you know it was it was uh, it was quite exciting in a way as a young fan as I was growing up and following the the Paul McGann film which was really what kind of piqued my interest and thought 
oh, I'll, I'll go back and, and get into this properly. I had to kind of discover these things, you know, order things from mail on uh, mail catalogues from Sheffield, which is a city up north, which was the only Doctor Who shop I knew of at the time, um, and get hold of the videos when I could <laughs> with my pocket money and sort of splice it together. I think really the main spine that kept it going probably was Doctor Who magazine oh, yes. throughout that whole period. I think where it started to perhaps enjoy a bit of a re- renaissance uh, was following the Paul McGann movie and and I, I'm sure we'll talk about this in a minute, but that obviously failed in a way to to reignite the show. But I don't think it failed completely. I think it uh, it gave a bit of a new life, and it coincided with the fact that a lot of young people who who had been you know, reasonably young when the show was cancelled had grown up enough and got jobs in the industry, like Mark Gatiss and Stephen Moffat, Russell T Davis. And then slowly, as I said in the video, I think the very apt uh, analogy was that the inmates started taking over the <laughs> asylum. And from that point on, it was inevitable, really. It was going to come back. It was just, I think, waiting for the zeitgeist to catch up and say, oh, no, sci-fi's cool again, you know? Mm. Yes. Or, or we can make sci-fi cool again and appeal to more than just the stereotypical anoraks. Um, well, sort of... Incidentally, I've never met an anorak myself. It's a complete stereotype. So don't <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of those things that's sort of the, the trope, don't beat up the geek in high school because you'll be working for him, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or her. Yeah, that's right. Exactly, exactly. So, like, what? and I know you've alluded to it a little bit, but just because this is your personal era, so how did you literally discover Doctor Who and kind of what media or medium did mm. you use to develop? Because, you know, we'll get into all the non-TV here, uh, eventually yeah, here, but yeah. how did that, how did you discover? Cause, and I, I mean, I don't want to portray it as a dark age, but like, now that I think <laughs> about it with Doctor Who, cause you know, it's, it's, as you say with the VHS and everything else, but even now in 2019, we don't all have all of Doctor Who cause it doesn't no. exist. Um, you no, know, no. we have animated blah, blah, blah. But anyway, but like, you know, I don't know how they were releasing it. So it's like, you know, just all over the place. Exactly. They were all out of order completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I well the the thing is it's something that I have been aware of since before I can actually remember um I don't remember a time not being aware of Doctor Who not sort of I don't remember discovering it right. as such I, I I've said a couple of times to people ask I have a sort of a a vague memory of seeing a Dalek next to a sort of grimy brick wall. <laughs> and I'd love that to be a memory from watching Remembrance of the Daleks, which is my favourite Doctor Who story. But I, I don't think it is. I think it's one of those things where you, your mind sometimes constructs memories and, and slots them in and you, you can swear that it happened, but it, it's not actually real. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I would have been... I was four when the series was cancelled. Um, and and uh, I don't think my parents watched it i mean they've they've had to watch it they've endured it many many times <laughs> since but i don't think they watched it fervently so i may never have actually seen it on its original transmission but i was certainly aware of it and then when i think really that the turning point was around i was aware of it and i loved sci-fi and my brother and i enjoyed science fiction we watched star wars and Battlestar galactica and all those kinds of things so it was very much my sort of cup of tea but it was a bit of a mystery because it wasn't on and you couldn't just go on youtube or wherever and and look it up because um, that's another thing that, I mean, unlike Star Trek, all of Star Trek, honestly, no matter when you grew up, you know, post, you know, 1963, there's there weren't, like, repeats of Doctor Who, were there? Um, on television? Well, there were there were from time to time. And certainly around the 30th anniversary, there was. I mean, I, I was very lucky that we got Sky Television when I was about five or six, which is the satellite 
mm. the original sort of satellite broadcasting in the, in this country at least. Um, and that meant that I could get UK Gold, which was oh, sort of yeah. a channel that showed all classic British um, television, whether it be sitcoms or, or whatever. And they, and they they acquired Doctor Who in its entirety, really. And they just used to show it like oh, okay. omnibus editions on a Sunday every, every day. And they did this for years and years and years. Um, and around the 30th anniversary, they did a sort of a weekend celebrating Doctor Who and they showed randomly they showed the odd episode so of course as you know classic Doctor Who was episodic or serialized so you'd get oh, six like, four oh, literally five episodes the epi- and they'd just show episode four episode <laughs> oh six and I was like what on earth is going on I remember seeing that the final episode of Logopolis which is when Tom Baker regenerates into Peter Davis and not knowing what's going on but I was really intrigued it was actually really interesting because it kind of it was again. It, when I was younger, it was that mystery. It was that discovery, and I think that's why I've ended up with this sort of, arguably, sort of encyclopedic knowledge of classic who, at least, in that I was driven by the desire to to know and to understand. Really, the question Doctor Who is is what drove me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I saw I saw that and recorded it, and I I had that tape for about fifteen years. I think I, well, it seemed like fifteen years. It was probably five or six, and I sort of wore it out just watching episode four of Logopolis, <laughs> things like this. And then uh, and then yeah, so that's then there were some repeats on television, um, and they actually transmitted them in episodic order. So you'd have episode one one week and episode two the next week, just like it had been originally. Um, and they showed Planet of the Daleks uh, with John Pertwee. And uh, I think for a lot of people, I've had quite a few people comment on my videos that that's when they started watching Doctor Who as well. So those repeats in about 93 uh, were really something that I think engaged a lot of my generation, at least, because we hadn't been old enough to watch it when it was on TV. But I think those, those episode repeats were few and far between because, of course, they didn't necessarily always get the ratings that you'd expect. So they started showing, they'd start showing John Pertwee Series 10 or something like that, and then they'd get two stories into it and they'd notice the ratings were dropping. So then they'd throw in a random Tom Baker one, like Genesis <laughs> the Daleks, that they knew people would watch, and then it would just sort of disappear in favour of, I don't know, Gladiators or something else. <laughs> No, I'm being facetious, but uh, it's. Um, I then also went out and um, bought. Uh, well, I got my dad to buy me a, a copy of. Uh, I wanted to buy some Doctor Who on video, and we went to Woolworths, which was a long missed uh, now, yes. sadly missed department store in England, and they used to sell everything. Uh, and they had a whole video section, and they had a few Doctor Who on video, and I didn't know what to get, because at that time I didn't read Doctor Who, I didn't really know <laughs> what was the best. Pick a doctor, um, any doctor. <laughs> uh, yeah, and my dad said, well, why not this one? It's got them all in it. And it was the five doctors. Of course, it wasn't oh. all of them, but um, you know, it had the five doctors in. So he said, "Well, get that one. You know, you get five for the price of one." <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, dad. that was the first one I got on video, and yeah, and that really, and and that's great as well because although it's you know some people say it's a bit paint by numbers, it's very, uh, it's a celebration of the show and has a lot of the tropes and. I don't want to say cliches, but the sort of motifs of different doctors and different eras. You know, you get John Pertwee driving in Bessie and going, you know, jumping Jehoshaphat and things like that. So, you know, it, well, it, it was a great you, it like, a primer, yet. really. <laughs> well, no, exactly, yeah. Um, so so that's really how it sort of started for me. And then I I was sort of enjoying it, but I wouldn't... I've never really thought of myself as a fan, really. I don't really like sort of categories like that, but... Mm. 
I enjoyed Doctor Who, but I also enjoyed other things. I, I liked Star Trek, I liked Star Wars, I liked, and I sort of bounced back and forth between these different things. And I think it was when the Paul McGann film came out that really kicked it into another gear. I was yeah. like, oh, this is new Doctor Who, and I'm watching it at the same time as everyone else for the first time in my life. I'm not discovering this separately. Mm-hmm. You know, this is something I'm I'm enjoying simultaneously with other with other people so that became like current doctor who for me but of course then when it didn't become a series or or another film i then had to sort of satisfy that that taste for doctor who by um searching out all through the other media which i'm still doing to this day really <laughs> well let's let's go ahead and make that transition to uh the doctor who movie and um I guess uh, on behalf of America, sorry. Yeah, I guess yeah. uh, that we a bit, that a we failed you. It. I yeah. guess um, <laughs> we because uh, because it does sort of seem because I was you know Wikipedia that great source of all knowledge of course. But when I, mean, I was looking at the Doctor Who movie on there you know last month, it basically seemed to me that however you define these words, it was a success, quote unquote, a success in Britain, but not mm. a success, quote unquote, in America. And therefore, didn't go anywhere because America was like, you know. And I was like, oh, sorry. Sorry, America killed Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's yours. No. So I didn't no, know. I, I, I don't. I, I mean, at the time, I do remember I went to my very first convention, um, a Doctor Who convention in, in 2000, it was. Because I remember I'd just finished my um, GCSEs. And that was sort of a celebration. My dad said, oh, let's get that as a gift because I'd done okay. And uh, I went there and, you know, it was lovely. It was the first time, really, I'd seen other fans, um, really, because my friend and I had watched it, but he'd sort of discovered it through me. It wasn't like we met because we were mutual fans of something. Anyway, while I was there, there was um, a sort of a satirical little film that someone had made and they were playing it and it was a, a sort of a jokey uh, representation of the different doctors and it was very um, dismissive of Paul McGann's Doctor, which I found quite surprising at the time, because as I thought at that time, he was sort of like my Doctor, and he Mm. was legitimately part. And it made me aware that there are some people, I think less, fewer people now, because of the new series, has made it more legitimate. You know, when Christopher Eccleston came in, he was the ninth Doctor. They weren't unwriting the the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the time, a lot of people did in this country, I think, just reject it. Was he the Peter Cushing (laughs) <laughs> in a way, in a way, well, well, um, Paul McGann summed it up quite well, I think, before he came to Big Finish, that he was the George Lazenby oh, yes, yes, yes. of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. In that, it was sort of this aborted mistake, in a way, um, much like uh, George Lazenby. But I, I disagreed with that, and I think he didn't realise how much of a fan base he actually had until he came back to Big Finish uh, and was sort of resoundingly successful, as, as every Doctor has been with Big Finish. But... Um, yeah, it was. I think there are people who were dismissive, and to make it easy, they go, "Oh, it's that American Doctor, Doctor Who," and I didn't. I've never really thought. I, even to this day, I don't really think of it as American Doctor Who. I think that um, yeah, there were there are some faults in the film that are a result of trying to follow kind of uh, established tropes that you find in American science fiction and television drama uh, but far far fewer than would have been had they gone with the crazy leakly version where you know they were basically going to reboot the the whole show so yeah. in fact you know, i think it, we were very lucky in a way to get something that was actually a continuation of the show um rather than a reboot much like the 
uh, Chris, um, yeah, the, the first Christopher Eccleston episode, Rose, was a, it wasn't a reboot, it was a continuation. But Russell T. Davis, I think, learned a valuable lesson from looking at the Paul McGann film and realising that you don't have to have tonnes of continuity references and complicated regeneration shenanigans in order to stay true to what the programme was. And I think that's the mistake that they made, that Philip Siegel was like, I want to make the programme that I grew up with and I want everyone who's a fan to see that we have stayed true. But at the same time, they were trying to make a film that would appeal to someone who'd never seen it before. And doing those two things is is a very, very difficult task to pull off. And I think Russell T. Davis did pull it off, but because he's a good writer, but also partly because he saw where they went wrong, <laughs> really. Um, like I said, I mean, it's great that Sylvester McCoy is in this film, and, and he, but really it shouldn't... It, you know, for a new audience, some random bloke who wasn't a kind of a, an obvious lead... Uh, character for for a show like that at that time and in that place whereas Paul McGann was but to have him for 20 minutes in fact apparently uh, Roseanne that it was scheduled against started I think at the point where Sylvester McCoy regenerates into Paul McGann (gasps) so everyone switched over at that point (laughs) that was an argument I once heard (laughs) so they never got to see what it could have been I think if they had done maybe they'd be they'd be different but still I think that they kind of shot themselves in the foot wanting to you know, have this as a, as a you, you know, they could have thought, well, we can do the regeneration later on down the line, which is, of course, what they did with, with modern Doctor Who. Right. Um, they didn't want anyone who was watching to feel like they needed to have seen anything before in order to get into it. Mm. And, and um, just coming off of, you know, talking about Sylvester McCoy and the Seventh Doctor last month and watching some of the Seventh Doctor, you know, um, and you say it, of course, in your video, but like, Man, and also, you know, not to make light of or certainly our current environment here in America, but like, you know, the story is the doctor visits America and gets shot. I'm like, that's not, that's not what <laughs> yeah, we want to sell here. Yeah, um, I don't know if I mean actually, uh, you might not know this, but the um, in the film, the bit of w- where they shoot him just before that, um, when the gang all shoot the TARDIS, mm-hmm. um, that was actually cut out of the British transmission. There were a couple of bits cut out because it was considered too too, too violent. Um, inappropriate, which is ironic, really, yeah. <laughs> because there'd obviously been a few shootings in, in England over the years, so there, mm. there were certain guidelines about shootings and things like that, how much could be shown and whether it was excessive and things like that. So, yeah, I'm not sure if that was a conscious decision on the writer's part as such. I've never really um, read much about Matthew Jacobs other than what I researched for the for the video. The, the guy, He was the guy who finally did the, the final version of the Paul McGann film, the writing. I, I think that might just be a coincidence, though. Um, you know, they thought, <laughs> let's make it exciting. It? It's in America. There's some gangs. <laughs> and he ends up getting caught in the cross. But, of course, he doesn't actually die from the shooting. Yeah, I mean, That's kind of the tragic thing. He dies from the, the, from the probe being thrust into his heart by his companion. He's probably the only doctor I think who's been killed by his companion by his through companion. ignorance. Yeah. And, and I, in the video, I said about how his death and that process was kind of a bit disappointing and unsatisfactory for a character who's so in control but a few people have pointed out to me and i think it's a good point since that actually it's kind of poetic whether they intended it to be that way or not it kind of works out it's quite poetic that he's this you know this master manipulator and this big chess player and he isn't defeated by any of these gods like fenric or anyone that he's been facing over years it's just a simple accident on the operating table (laughs) right um is and when he screams and shouts out it's kind of like that frustration of this is how how it ends which is quite a 
a horrible yeah. way for one of my favorite doctors to die, but <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's, he also it's dramatic. He also, and then of course, because I, I, I do appreciate your point about you know a new viewer is going to get totally lost in this, but but to be the the fan for a second, he also doesn't get his sort of moment. That, you know, mm. all the doctors, you know, there's no like, oh, Mel and Ace, you know, whatever, however you do the mm. flashback mm. or the mentioning. Now, you know, I always, I think I said the other, one of the episodes, it was the worst regeneration. Jessica quickly corrected me that, no, that would be Colin Baker. <laughs> Colin Baker. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah, although if you listen to uh, The Last Adventure, the big finish mm-hmm. with uh, oh, we, Colin Baker, that, that finally... Uh, mm-hmm slots in and and gives it more of a final ending Uh. it's quite it's quite moving and quite good but yeah no i agree i mean that's that that's the thing i mean if they're going to introduce him at the beginning of the film and kill him 20 minutes in to regenerate into the actual lead um they can't really build up a big dramatic moment because the audience can't be dramatic you know emotionally invested in who this character is Mm. Uh, and also the decision to have him sort of an amnesiac Yes. Um, I, I assume originally was partly so that, you know, we would learn along with him. We wouldn't have all that information dumped on us immediately. But, of course, then they make the mistake of opening the eye and him getting all his memories back and suddenly explaining it and sounding like one of those anoraks. That no one yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I again, I've seen the Doctor Who movie. I don't know what this... I, I think I literally did see it when it aired because um, I vaguely do recall it on Fox. Um, but anyway, but, you know, so I'll be charitable and say I've seen it like five times at this point. But, and, you know, it doesn't necessarily get better, quote unquote, but, you know, it's it's not crazy bad. I would say, I would say if I was selling this to a fan, I'd be like, because mm. I, I think like with any doctor, and this is usually the classic error, but I think it's true with any doctor who, the doctor, as long as the doctor, to me, this is my personal opinion, as long as the doctor is watchable, doesn't matter the story, mm. it can make it. Because there's a lot of classic who that may not be my favorite, but, you know, if Peter, did, like, I love the fifth doctor, in my opinion, not a lot of great stories and companions, but that's just me. But but anyway, <laughs> but but I like the Peter Davison and the fifth doctor, so I can watch it. Yeah, but, I know what you mean. But with yeah. Paul McGann, like, especially when you showed in your video the Paul McGann audition, I was like... Oh, oh yeah. my god! This is—I mean, of course. Well, he's, I'll gush yeah. on him. In, in I mean, he's finish, the best. Yes. As I say, he's the best thing about it. I mean, he is a great actor, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he's got a fantastic voice as well. Yes. He does a lot of um, voiceovers mm-hmm. uh, for documentaries and things, and adverts in the UK. So at one point, him and Sean Pertwee, John Pertwee's son, who also does a lot of voiceovers, they seem to be the two people I heard all the time. <laughs> in fact, when I met him a couple of years ago, the night before we went down to London, he was at a convention. And uh, at the hotel the night before, I turned on the TV and there was a documentary on about World War Two or something. And there's Paul McGann doing the voiceover. You know, he's he's a great. He's one of those people who I think. I mean, he he is successful, you know, and he he is known. Mm. But I think that through no uh, fault of his own, never really necessarily hit the peak success that he could really have done. You mm-hmm. know, because of the 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 being in Alien Three and being in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Empire of the Sun and having most of his role cut yeah. out of it. Um, you know, he is a really, really good actor. I think one thing that's quite interesting, though, about the movie mm-hmm. is for some reason, I think this is like w- what I suppose I would label the Tom Cruise effect. Um, Paul McGann is actually the same height as Sylvester McCoy. Um, I noticed they had to make him look taller all the time. There are Even in the fo- there's a famous publicity photograph where uh, they're standing in the door of the TARDIS. And um, Sylvester McCoy is holding the key out and putting it in Paul McGann's hand, and Paul McGann is about a foot taller than him, and he's standing on a box. Um, well, I commented to Jessica. <laughs> I don't know why. When we were watching this time, I'm like, there are a lot of wide shots. I'm like, how tall is Paul McGann? Because you only do a wide yeah. shot if you're trying not to compare him. And I was like, he must be pretty not tall. 
So yeah, but yeah, that's a little bit of little bit of trivia for you there. <laughs> yeah, I think it was just this idea again. Perhaps you know, if you want to label that an American network television mm. sort of mm. idea that you know he has to be something that he's not in some way. Um, but I think Paul McGann did admirably well in dealing with something I don't think he was entirely sure about at that time. Uh, taking on the responsibilities, I don't think he was into a bit like. Peter Davison was when he first began he was a bit unsure about how to do the role and, and what they wanted and what he wanted to do I think he's he's developed it more in Big Finish as the Doctor that he wanted to be in a way and sometimes he'd come up against difficulties uh, like the fact that he had all his hair shaved off for a film and then he thought oh this would be great I'll be so different to everyone else and then Philip Skill was like no you've got to wear a wig now um, yeah, we, we were when during your video. I was like, "Yes, we can't have a doctor whose head is shaved." Oh yeah, not, I know. Not like the next one, <laughs> he, he does have a bit of an Eccleston about him. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're both northern. So. Maybe that's what. Well, one, one's from Liverpool, one's from Manchester, and they those two famously dislike each oh, other. Yes, so like <laughs> yeah. a rivalry. So, do not tell them I said that they were <laughs> in any way similar. But yeah, Colin Baker has said as well that that. Um, I think he changed his story slightly, though, because originally he said he wanted a black suit playing the Doctor. But then when Christopher Eccleston came along, he said, that's what I wanted, <laughs> his his costume. So, yeah, may, maybe uh, Russell T. Davis kind of listened to the two arguments that Paul McGann and Colin Baker had and put them together to form the Ninth Doctor. <laughs> there you way. go. Um, but, yeah, no, no, he, uh, Paul McGann is the best thing in the, in the film, and, and, yes. and he does really carry it. And it's his performance and his... I think that a bit like um, some people might disagree with me, but I think that, for example, Matt Smith was excellent casting as well. Mm. Oh, yes. No, we're, in we're that big he Smith just fans. has that Doctor quality. Mm-hmm. I, I remember reading that when, when they were auditioning for the 11th Doctor, originally Stephen Moffat wanted an older Doctor, much like Peter Capaldi in some way. Um, and uh, I think they, they auditioned Matt Smith. They sort of let, let's see what he's like. He's done a couple of things. And they thought, no, he's too young. He's way too young. Um, but then he perform for them the addition for them they just thought well we've got to give it to him he yeah and yeah. it sort of surprised them and i think paul mcgann's very much like that as well in that uh, he he just sort of slips into the role so so effortlessly it he seems, sucks you in. in the film like cause yeah because of his voice you almost have to lean in to, to yeah. you know i want to hear what he's saying and because he has that sort of well that that yeah that was another thing, actually. When when I was when I was young and being a fan, was I got a an audio tape of Paul McGann reading three Eighth Doctor short stories, mm. and uh, yeah, that's the best. He's one of the best audio book readers I've ever heard. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and I mean, because we've enjoyed. I mean, I'm speak for Jessica. I've really been growing into the Eighth Doctor, especially through Big Finish. Yes, um, yeah, very much so. And yeah. so you know, we've been sort of going in order now. Um, so we we were trying not to you know we were watching your video like don't spoil us don't spoil us because uh, um, I think we're just on the second season uh, or series or whatever you want to call it. Oh um, uh, yeah, I do worry sometimes about spoiling oh, you're, things I mean, for people. Yeah. We'll be all right. Yeah, you're, you know, like it's how many years? It's like don't don't say Dumbledore died. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so but because we, we went to a pa- uh, Gallifrey one in, in L.A. and they had a, mm. an Eighth Doctor panel that we went to that was really great and it was you know of course spoiling because they were all talking about all the great things and so we kind of yeah, but yeah. we're you know flush it from our brains. And so, but it was inspiring because yeah. they were so passionate about 
the Eighth Doctor's Big Finish, and we'd listened to mm. some, mm-hmm. but that was sort of the inspiration to start at the very beginning and, and work our way through. Yeah, and so where are you up to then? Well, we, You say you're up into well, the second series. Ironically, or that yes, might yeah. be the wrong word, but anyway, uh, uh, Saren, <laughs> you know, coincidentally, we just listened to Chimes... Uh, Chimes oh. at midnight or chimes at midnight. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we had just chimes, listened to that, because it's, it's always funny when we're watching your videos. We because you know you always focus kind of on one or two episodes, and we're always like, we hope mm. it's one we've seen. Um, <laughs> and so I didn't know what you were going to do with this one, but like, oh good, we saw we've listened to that one. So, so yeah, I, I had to do that. I, I my big finish sec. I might at some point do another video separately about big finish because you know the time that I had really in the well, it, you know, potentially I've got infinite time because it's my video <laughs> I can make as long as I want, but. For for an audience, you know, I think the length of that video is is fair enough. You know, I didn't want to put even more in because there were mm-hmm. a few other things I could have talked about, like the the real time videos and the BBV production, some of which you've seen, like Air Zone Solution and Auton oh, and oh, you know things like that. But I, I I made a mention of them. I didn't want to go into too great a detail because I'd just be there forever doing it. You know, and and mm-hmm. it's the same with Big Finish. There's so much. You know, I mean, I have. 270 I think audios or something maybe more um, that I've accumulated because I was obviously being a fan in 1999 when they started I got in there at the beginning when the only thing they did was I think six Bernice Summerfield audios and they just started the Doctor Who range and then it just ballooned and ballooned so I think for a lot of people now it can be a bit daunting now you know Mm. where do I begin but I think starting with the the Paul McGann series from series one of the monthly range before they spun him off into his own things, which I was very cross at the time because it meant I would have to pay twice for a separate series of, of audios, I think is, is a good thing because they'd really sort of honed their craft by that point. I mean, it was pretty outstanding from the beginning. They knew what they were doing. But yeah, by, by the time they started with Paul McGann and, and also because at the time there wasn't a series on television, Right. Uh, they very much approached the Paul McGann audios as this is current Doctor Who. Mm. So they had, they weren't about recapturing an era or, or revising any mistakes or something like that. They were about let's continue, let's forge it on. You know, and Paul McGann could develop his Doctor rather than having to keep him a certain way because he'd already died. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can't you can't make you know the Fifth Doctor into you know something completely different because you did, you know what the end point is you know he was he was dressed the same and they did begin to do that quite a lot actually when they started doing a spin-off series called Dark Eyes and they completely changed the look of Paul McGann because they th- basically they ran out of photographs of Paul McGann from <laughs> Doctor Who and they said well let's just do some more then and then he got a big leather jacket which is very similar to uh, Christopher Eccleston and he didn't have his hair he didn't have his hair shaved off but he has it shorter I think wetter the guys who did um, the models for Lord of the Rings and things like oh, that. Yes. They built him a sonic screwdriver because there's loads of Doctor Who fans on that as well. And so, yeah, he. And then, of course, you've got him. You have got an end point for him now. Mm. So mm. now you've got the Time War, and he's very much like he is in that. Um, but yeah, you know, they, they approached it in that way. And so they were more experimental. You know, The Chimes of Midnight is a very unusual Doctor Who story in the sense of it's it's got recognisable elements. You wouldn't be able to do it on television, for example. You wouldn't be allowed to do it with Doctor <laughs> Who. You know, it wouldn't be suitable. It wouldn't. It would be inappropriate um, for the audience. And so, in a way, that's not to say it's you know gratuitous or graphic or anything. No, no, but you no. know, it, the themes are very dark, and so therefore they have edged close to similar themes uh, in the past in in 
the new series, but they've kind of almost burnt their fingers and had to draw back from it mm. and made some misjudgments uh, along the way, like the Peter Capaldi uh, Deep Water one where the um, Dark Water, I can't remember now, but it's the one with the Cybermen and Clara and Peter Capaldi at the end of his first season. And it turns out they say about how, you know, dead people don't oh, yes. die so when you cremate them they're screaming and stuff and it that was yes. very controversial i think if mary whitehouse had been around she'd been uh, <laughs> in arms about that one well i mean when um, when, uh, when missy killed i mean not to get off track when missy killed um the the, the woman scientist from unit and i was like what oh what? yeah are you Oz, i was like, cursing the tv it was like dumbledore <laughs> dying all over again i'm like you cannot <laughs> are you kidding me yeah. I like. I'm stop Although watching. I think, I think uh, <laughs> after a while we learned that in a Stephen Moffat story, yes. nobody ever really dies. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> in fact, no one in his stories died until I think until he actually became showrunner. Every one of his stories, everyone lives somewhere or oh, another. God. Even if they appear to die, they come back. Well, even then. Uh, really. But anyway, as you say, that's a that's for a later <laughs> discussion. But uh, but yeah, no, that 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 Paul McGann series, and that's really I think integral in getting him back and engaged because he. I don't know if he was, um, you know, unavailable or whatever, but I think he was somewhat reticent to do it. Mm-hmm. And Big Finish hadn't really established themselves that strongly at that point. So to get to get him and to get them, they saw, and I think he enjoyed himself so much that they, he was like, right, when can we do the next ones? And then that's really <laughs> gone on since. So between that and the books and the comics and everything, he, ironically for the George Lazenby of Doctor Who, he ended up with more stories than I think any other incarnation of the Doctor. Yes, and uh, I've pretty much enjoyed them all because, be, he's, as I thought, he's my Doctor. I started reading the book, so between then and when they regenerated the Doctor for Christopher Eccleston in two thousand and five, there was seventy two Eighth Doctor novels. What nine years of comics, and he started doing Big Finish in two thousand, so there was five years of audios. So you know, there's an enormous library really for for the Eighth Doctor. Mm-hmm. So does he technically have the longest I mean, tenure? Yeah, as well? take that to an, I think an, so, Tom yeah. Baker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, being being that actually, I think it would be not yeah nine, whereas Tom would be seven. Mm-hmm. Although of course Tom was actually on television for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it all kind of depends really on whether you you know, see Doctor Who just as a television program and all the rest is spin-off stuff, you know, it's just ephemera that's not integral or canon or whether you enjoy it generally. And because I grew up in that period, I see Doctor Who as, you know, the, I think it works best as a television show, but it's more than that, you know. And when it when it eventually dies on television again, as all things do, mm. you know, I'm sure that it will carry on in some form in a different medium because... You know, it's one of those things that just carries on. It's to the test of time in different... Some things don't translate into different mediums, whereas I think Doctor Who is versatile enough to be uh, on audio and you can do different things with it on audio than you could in other... Um, I'm envious for you, actually, because when you get to the next series of Paul McGann, there's a story called Scherzo, which is the first story of that era, mm. and it only works on audio. It's another Robert Sherman one. It only works on audio because it's all about sound, so you couldn't do it on on film. You and you know you couldn't really do it in a book either. Um, so I think that's the you know the inventiveness and the mm. the innovation that that Doctor Who inspires and has done over the years is something that works really well. Oh, awesome. And really kept it alive during the wilderness years. You know, <laughs> it wasn't just a a limbo period where there was nothing. There was probably more. In 1997, when I really first got into Doctor Who as a proper fan, I would say there was probably more to enjoy then than there had been at any time in the past. Oh, yeah. any other era, you know. 
So I was kind of spoilt for choice, really. It's just very, very expensive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and let's sort of to close, well, I mean, I, I'm going to, ha- you know, hand quote close, but to close the Paul McGann Eighth Doctor story, Night of the Doctor, of course, came mm. out around the 50th anniversary. I mean... <laughs> On Paul McGann's birthday, I believe. Yeah, oh, really? Oh, right. Okay. I think it was, yeah. It, it, it was going to get leaked or something. Well, okay. So they, it was supposed to be, I think, on the 50th anniversary. Oh. It was going to get leaked. So they put it out a couple of days before. And it was spoilt for me by oh. the BBC. I was going to ask you how, it, how you came to it. Yeah, it, it came up on uh, on my Facebook page. Um, and uh, I think it had already come out a few hours before. And they'd kind of gone, go and see this. And it was all mysterious. And everyone was like, oh, my God, it's finally happened. He's finally come back. Um, and then a few hours later, I think they must have posted an update or something. And this time they post a picture of him in his costume uh-huh. reclining against the rock when he wakes up just before he dies. Uh-huh. And I was like, is that what I think it is? And I was very excited. But it would have been so amazing if the first thing I'd seen was him when he's going around. I'm a doctor, but not the uh, one you're that's right. not the one you're expecting. You know, I still, I mean, um, I've seen the thing probably, you know, a dozen times. That's still a family because I'm like, mm. oh my god, it's the Eighth Doctor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, lovely moment because I, I, I don't, you know, remember how it came to it. I mean, it was live whenever it was, and I kind of forgot how mm. it. I mean, it would have had to have been the internet. I mean, how it's where you're going to see it, but yeah, I just couldn't. Believe. Well, it was on a loop on BBC Television. We have this thing. It's probably similar, right? We have press the red button mm. on certain channels, and then they have like a like a digital service that is connected to the to the programming and they had it on a loop over and over and over for about five days and i must have watched it <laughs> countless number of times i just because you kind of like you'd watch it through and it'd get to the end and you'd go oh that's great oh, i'll just watch it one more time <laughs> and then it goes through because it's only like what five ten yeah, minutes or something short. it's uh yeah it's it's very Moorish, you know. It's like having a Pringle or something. Because <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, and I, well, I mean, this is me. I won't, you know, make it a general thing. But like for me, it works on so many levels. One, it's the Eighth Doctor. Like it's the one, you know, that you've only seen once. And like, oh my god, they brought back the Eighth Doctor. This is awesome, awesome. And then it's also mm. a Paul McGann making it his own. And and it isn't, you know, because of course the last time you saw him on TV, he was the new Doctor, and now he's the end of his journey. You know, and he mm. he's still the Eighth Doctor, but he's a different look. You know, costume and attitude and hair. Um, but like, what do you think, darling, of of that ending? Yeah, no, I I think it's really lovely. I, as you say, that moment where he first appears, and you're like, yes, it's Paul again. They brought him back into the fold, mm-hmm. um, and giving him a much better regeneration than they gave poor, poor <laughs> Sylvester McCoy. <laughs> he at least gets to name his companions, and and that was well. the part I don't think because at that point when I saw it, I don't think I'd probably even listen to a big finish. But that they yeah. fit, I mean, I, you know, and I don't know, like you said, who cares about canon? But if you do, they just canonized all of Big Finish yeah. right there by just saying. I think that names. was probably one of the best presents that, because uh, when Big Finish, when the series came back, Big Finish were really worried, I believe, at first, because they thought, well, now the series on, no one will want to listen to the audios anymore. Mm. And uh, fortunately, they were wrong because it actually spurred interest. But that, I think, was a massive turning point. That was a massive gift, I think, from Stephen Moffat to Nick Briggs, the, who's the executive producer of Big Finish, but also the voice of the Daleks yes, in, the, yeah. in the new series. And, uh, yeah, to, to canonize the Eighth Doctor's companions from Big Finish made all of that legitimate then. And I think it opened up because originally the contract that B- Big Finish had was that they were only allowed to do Doctor Who... Uh, up uh, up to Paul McGann, they weren't allowed to even refer in an earlier in a 
you know, another Doctor story to a later period, like the Time War or, or the Weeping Angels or anything. And around that time, because of that, I think, they, their contract was expanded. So now they can do anything up to uh, Peter Capaldi, the end of Peter Capaldi's tenure, uh, which I think has been like a, a second life for them because they've done all these series now with the Time War and River Song has met Tom Baker and all these yes. kinds of... Yes. I'm, not quite, I'm still myself not quite sure how that works. I haven't listened to yeah, them all. Yeah, we've, we've listened to... Uh, Two of her. two of hers or three okay. of hers, but you know they keep going you know reverse order. So we've gotten all the way to her mm-hmm. meeting the fifth Doctor. Yeah, and so I think our next time we listen to River Song, it's on my phone because we listen to it in the car. Um, it's going to be her meeting the fourth Doctor. So and I mean because they have it all the way back to the first where she's meeting the first Doctor companion. So yeah, we'll be interested. yeah yeah. I, I, mm, I am interested in that, but again, it come down to cost. I've just yes. got the the Legacy of Time, their twentieth anniversary mm. special. Box set, and that that's a great celebration of Big Finish and links it. It's got all their characters, and it's a smorgasbord. Really, you've got Unit and Osgood and Ooh. Kate Stewart and all that. You've got uh, you've got Paul McGann, River Song, Bernice, Jenny is in it with Peter Davison, oh, who of course yeah. is her actual father <laughs> in real life. Um, so yeah, some really interesting little little things that they've been able to do because I think really, as I say, that that night of the Doctor, that little thing, not only gave us this amazing denouement for Paul McGann but also canonized Big Finish and the other media Mm. so all of that happened although it doesn't always make sense because they've done for example um, adaptations of New Adventures novels and the New Adventures contradict what the new series is and but uh, you know it, it, it's pretty. It's pretty neat yeah. that there's these there's these links. Well, we, we we just have one more, two more topics, but I just want to get because you know between August and September, uh, there's not a month between that. So we just wanted to get like <laughs> good what, eye, baby. Good well, eye. we just wanted to get your quick thought about <laughs> the War Doctor because you know there's no war uh, month. Um, no, I, mean, I know, and this is a yeah. a lot of people have commented uh, like, uh, "Will I be doing an episode on the War Doctor?" <laughs> I've had a few people saying, will I do an episode on the Schalke Doctor as well? Which, uh, if you don't know, is a, a very short-lived cartoon with Richard E. Grant as the Ninth Doctor. And he was the official Ninth Doctor for about a week before they made they commissioned the new series of Christopher Eccleston. He was hastily forgotten about. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's these sort of, like, avenues of things. But, yeah, no, I... I I mean, it's John Hurt, right. isn't it? I mean, you can't really <laughs> beat John indeed. Hurt. I mean, that, that was quite a coup. I mean, yeah, it is a great shame. Yeah, Eccleston. That Christopher Eccleston, Eccleston chose not to come back. <laughs> but I, as far as I understand it, it, it wasn't just like, nah, I'm not doing that. That's rubbish. I, I think he had a serious discussion with Stephen Moffat about the opportunity and decided not to. And, and you know, he's quite an independent character actor. Um, so, you know, may, maybe at some point in the future he might do some big finish or something. I'm not sure. But, mm. uh, yeah. But, but to then get John Hurt... Uh, in in the piece and to make that story the day of the doctor work the way that it does i know there's people it has its detractors just like everything but i think it's a it's a very good celebration mm-hmm. of doctor who without becoming too fan servicey mm-hmm. um i know at one point it i i know that was an absolute nightmare for Stephen moffat to create because at one point um, he no one had a contract signed for it. Oh yes, so he didn't know if anyone's going to be in it. So at one point, Clara, I think, was the only character who was going to be in it. Oh, it potentially no. could have had no doctors in it. So I think it was a massive headache. So yeah, John Hurt. I, I love. I've listened to the first two series that he did with Big Finish mm-hmm. before he passed away, um, playing the War Doctor. Um, 
I like the idea of it. It was interesting. I mean, the the sort of autistic fan in me um, didn't quite appreciate the numbering <laughs> problems that it created. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that, that now the 11th Doctor isn't the 11th Doctor, he's the 12th Doctor, but but he is the 11th Doctor because the War Doctor didn't call himself the Doctor and all this kind and, of and thing. And then there's the... Uh, um, uh, the Oh lordy! The, oh, the the, yeah, the meta crisis, and so he's doctor. really thirteenth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy, the thir- Yeah, no, I, uh, it, yeah, I, I, I'm not so obsessed that I can't yes. distance myself from that. You know? <laughs> so uh, I can deal with it. But um, yeah, that did strike me at first. I was like, what on earth? Yeah, I, I remember before the the, the day. Uh, no, excuse me, before Matt's last uh, episode, the whatever it was called. I, I I forget how I saw it, but it, the way I my brain interpreted it, it's like right before the episode, Moffat's like, oh, quick thing uh, before this starts, um, <laughs> he's the thirteenth dog. I'm like, what? You can't tell yeah. me that five seconds before I watch this. <laughs> anyway, but yes, I'm glad that he sorted that problem though while he did, because I don't think anyone would necessarily have come up with a way to solve the twelve regeneration yes. limit that was sort of arbitrarily <laughs> set back in the seventies is when they thought, well, there won't be th- we, it won't go long enough for them to be 13 doctors, will there? So we don't need to worry Paul about McGann it. Paul McGann says it like but, 50 uh, million times during the movie, too. So. Yes. So. Yeah, well, yes, yeah, that continuity. But you see, that's the thing about Doctor Who, is that it isn't a coherent continuity, because there's a story called The Brain of Morbius with Tom Baker, uh, where um, he battles with his minds with, with Morbius, this, this other Time Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, monster thing and on the screen it's it's very clear it, it regresses through Tom uh, the Doctor's lives and it goes Tom Baker, John Perley, Patrick Trent, William Hartnell and then Morbius says how long have you lived, how far back do we go and then you see another 11 pictures of random people who worked on the production <laughs> dressed up in co- so the implication is that the doctor, the fourth doctor, is actually supposed to be like the sixteenth doctor. Oh, wow. or something. Oh. So we conveniently forget that. You know? <laughs> so you know, Doctor Who is full of those things. Doctor Who, but no, the the War Doctor is a is a great idea, I think, because I think one of the arguments that Stephen Moffat made was that Christopher Eccleston's Doctor, whilst you know traumatized, would not have intentionally killed so many millions of people. Even you know that was the idea, I think, or, or and neither would the Paul McGann. He's the guy. He's the doctor exactly. living with it, so not the one who did it. I think the know. the rationale of having, yeah. you know, and also he said he didn't want the Eighth Doctor to have ended because I think the general fan theory was that the Eighth Doctor was the one who killed everyone and then regenerated into Christopher Eccleston. Um, and right. Christopher Eccleston is clearly in Rose only just regenerated because he looks in a mirror and says, oh, look at the ears. So we know that that's him yes. brand new. So there couldn't have been much time between that and, and when he regenerated. So so that idea of having an incarnation to kind of take the fall in a way, the one who wasn't the Doctor. My only issue with it is is that although I know the day of the Doctor is supposed to be a sort of like a redemption arc for him in that he kind of realises that he is not this person, he's not this warrior, and that the other doctors help him to realise that he is, in fact, still the doctor, and that and that he, he could never have pressed the button on the moment and wiped them all out kind of thing. But the issue with the war doctor is that we never really hear or see him doing anything that justifies why he would not call himself the doctor prior to that. And in the audios too, I mean, maybe I've right. I've not listen closely enough but in the audios although he he's always going don't call me that when they go you know doctor i i don't see why not because he's not i mean i don't expect him to be evil but i expect him to be a far more ruthless right. grizzled veteran than than perhaps he is i mean he sounds tired 
you know, uh, of war and things like that. But he doesn't sound any more, less doctorish, I think, than Chris Eccleston's doctor does. So that's my. I think that it, it's not so much yeah. a fault of John Hurt or, or the or the day of the Doctor, but the other material because they don't want to make him too questionable. Perhaps, kind of. I think don't always realise the opportunity there. You know, to really say, well, why didn't he call himself the Doctor? I mean, there must be some reason other than just intending to kill people. They didn't call himself the Doctor for the whole time because obviously. Right. Um, if you're very geeky and you look closely, you'll notice that when he regenerate, when Paul McGann regenerates into him, there's a sort of a mirrored reflection, and he says, "Doctor, no more," and it's a picture of John Hurt when he's much younger, and because the Doctor obviously ages yes. at yes. a very slow rate, like with Matt Smith in his final story, he was on Trenzalore for hundreds, and hundreds of years before he looked like an old man. That means mm-hmm. that the War Doctor must have lived for you know five, six hundred years or something. You know, what was he doing that whole time and not calling himself mm. the doctor for, you know? <laughs> Unless he was aged somehow, I don't know. You know, Probably he could come up with anything really, but, you know. Mm. Yep, there was a thing that made it like when the master made David Tennant age. Oh, yeah, that's right. It, it was like that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I fixed it. Put him in a birdcage. You, <laughs> you don't want to take up too much of your time, Richard, but I did want to hit one last topic with you um, because you are sort of the, uh, the, the <laughs> who expert, especially... Um, in the non-TV um, mm-hmm. stuff that you covered in your video. So if someone you know is either new to Doctor Who fandom or at least just has done TV, maybe they've done Big Finish, but the mm. books, which you cover um, in your video, someone who's never, you know, I mean, and maybe, like, I don't know, I'll, I'll use myself personally. So I picked up a, a, a random Doctor mm. Who book from, from time to time. You know, I don't know, probably nothing that's been published too long ago, you know, maybe in the past mm-hmm. 10 to 15 years, you know, various doctors, you know, new Who doctors, some classic Who doctors, but probably not the original stuff. Um, so if someone who wanted to get into the Doctor mm-hmm. Who novel verse, um, where would you recommend they start? You know, all the way back to uh, New Adventures or, that's you know, tough, what, what's your recommendation? Um, I mean, I'm a I'm a voracious reader and, and always have been, and uh, I'm also a completist as well. So if there's a series of something, even if something's bad, I, I have to read it and, and <laughs> slot it on the shelf. Um, so I've I've read two hundred and twenty five something like that Doctor Who books uh, since I first became this massive geek. So there's from that selection. I mean, there's so much. There's several <laughs> ranges. I think that's a thing to understand. You've got the target novelizations that were started back in the late '60s and ran through the '70s and '80s, which novelized or two stories. And most of those are generally sort of quite, you know, paint by numbers. They're short little books, um, and you can just pick stories. I think that's interesting. You know, to to look back at the the ones that have been deleted and to read the novelization of them based on the camera scripts, or uh, sometimes they're written by the person oh, who yes, originally yeah. wrote it. Um, so you get a kind of a, a different encounter with that. I mean, that that's always interesting. Although they're out of print, uh, they did reprint a few uh, a couple of years ago, I think, and they've done some new ones since of of the new series in the in the old style because they are very nostalgic and, and for a lot of people the. the they were the only thing when there wasn't any video recorders, there weren't DVDs, there wasn't the internet. It was the only way that you could read a Doctor Who story. Even if you'd seen it, you'd never see it again because you couldn't record it and it might not be repeated, you know. So so they're quite good to sort of dip into, look at, you know, what what does what happened in um, Marco Polo, for example, or something like that, something that you can't see anything yes. of. They're not, you know. And then following that, as I mentioned in the video, you've got the new adventures. Now, the thing you got to, I think, understand about those is that 
they were written by fans for fans, some of whom went on to write for the new series, like Mark Gatiss and Gareth Roberts, Russell T. Davis, etc. Um, because they were written for fans and people kind of steeped in the, at that point, 26-year history of the show, um, they do tend to get very continuity-heavy. I think you read The Sands of Time before i remember you talking that's yes. a good example i mean that's a missing adventure which was the sort of side range about the previous six doctors but even though and they're they're more standalone so if you've got some understanding of doctor who and you've seen a few stories they're good to sort of pick up they're, they don't run in a particular series as such um but even then you know if you if you're not up on classic who you might get a bit lost because i think in the sands of time is obviously a sequel to pyramids of mars but as you mentioned, you also need to have seen yeah, Black Orchid because Nissa <laughs> has a twin, well, not a twin, but a doppelganger in that story. And yeah, it can yes. be a bit confusing. And I think a lot of the Virgin ones can be approached with some caution because of that, because they're, they're very continuity heavy. Not not all of them. I mean, you could start from the very beginning mm. with, the, with the Seventh Doctor and, and work forwards like I did. But some of them are very, very hard to get hold of now. So if you are a completist, you might get a bit frustrated because the, the last... The last five or so were they were printed, but they weren't all distributed, and I think they were awfully. A lot of them were sent to be burnt somewhere, and so they're very hard to track down. For example, Lungbarrow, which is the one I mentioned in the in the video, is going for eBay currently about one hundred and fifty between one hundred and fifty and three hundred pounds a copy, which for a five ninety nine oh, book when wow. it came out in nineteen ninety seven, you know that's. It's quite an yeah. investment. Um, I think they did reprint it online at some point, but, you know, they can be tricky and hard to get down. And I'm sure you didn't mean to, but in a strange way, you sort of you sort of drawn me to the naughty books. Because <laughs> you're like, yep, this is the one where there's all the sex and violence. I'm well, like, I would say oh, if, you, if, you want, okay. if you want a bit of do- more adult <laughs> Doctor Who, I would recommend, well, kind, no, better actually, by the same person, though, ironically. <laughs> Um, Russell T. Davis's one and only <laughs> Doctor Who novel before he did the novelization of Rose more recently was a book called Damaged Goods. Mm. And it has been adapted by Big Finish, but it, it's slightly watered down because even for Big Finish, they didn't want to go too far. And it's, uh, it's a great... I thought, cause <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be a bit... I don't really like Doctor Who when it's that adult. Um, you know, I think it yeah. strays into territory mm. which doesn't really fit with the themes of the show. But that was a real surprise. I really, really, really enjoyed it, and um, it's all. <laughs> Ironically, it's kind of have you, um, the, the the musical Blood Brothers. Is it's essentially yes, that, but with aliens and telepathic abilities, and the Doctor on a housing estate. So there's lots of reference. There's lots of things you can see Rossi Davis coming up with, which he would then develop in his own series. There's a sort of power estate. There's people who live oh, on it, um, but there, it's about drugs, uh, drug addicts, and oh, you know, murder and all kinds of. It's, it, but it was really good. I really enjoyed it. It was one of the, you know, once you've read a few hundred Doctor Who books, you kind of like. I love all of them and I enjoy them, but some of them are kind of like, yeah, no, no, how this is going. And that one really kept me going. I was like, well, how is this going to end? And I actually learnt. I know it sounds. But uh, Doctor Who, obviously, I always appreciate learning things from Doctor Who. A lot of the historical periods that I'm interested in have been spurred by by, Mm. uh, Doctor Who stories and things like that. And, uh, yeah, Russell T. Davis had these ideas in it, which I'd never even heard of before. Um, 
little ideas which were real things. I can't really explain it without spoiling it. Um, and also, if anyone... If you're like me and you don't like the Cyber <laughs> King in uh, The Next Doctor with um, David Morrissey and David Tennant, I thought that oh, was yeah. a bit silly in Transformers mm-hmm. when I saw it. But it's actually inspired by something mm-hmm. that happens in Damaged Goods, but it works so much better in Damaged Goods. Um, it's it's not like yeah like Transformers rampaging through the city. It just works. Um, so that would be definitely one I think <laughs> if you want a bit of adult Doctor Who. I think anything by anything by Terence Dix, whether it's a novelization or whether it's one of his oh, yeah. his yeah. own novels that he's written for. He's written for all the Rangers. He wrote for Target, then he wrote for Virgin, then he wrote for the BBC when they got the book rights back again. Um, he's always good if you want a kind of a nostalgic dip into that sort of 1970s style Doctor Who. And uh, But the the BBC books picking up from there, you've then got the Eighth Doctor range and you've got the Past Doctor Adventures there. I think uh, both the Eighth Doctor range and the Virgin New Adventures with the Seventh Doctor, um, they tend to have story arcs in. So they are sometimes difficult to dip in and out of. But if you want to sort of get in at the beginning of the story arc... Uh, with the Eighth Doctor, I would say the first seminal novel really is a book called Alien Bodies by Lawrence Miles, and it's it's very very interesting. Um, some really clever ideas. I'd say Lawrence Miles is one of the best, or was one of the better writers for Doctor Who prose. In the same way that uh, Stephen Moffat, I think, is one of the better writers for Doctor Who on television because he has the ideas, the clever ideas, and the premises there. Um, and uh, alien bodies revolves around this kind of there's this uh an auction and all these different aliens sort of antagonistic aliens are, uh, are, f- are bidding over this item at auction it turns out to be the doctor's body from the future after his 13th uh, well after well, of course that doesn't happen now but the idea was <laughs> that they're after his body and um, yeah it's uh, but it but it links in with this whole storyline about oh, this yeah. time war um, which was done in the... And that's why when, when Christopher Eccles came along, he said, oh, uh, we were in a war and we lost. I thought that was a reference to the time war in the books. But apparently it's a separate time war. Uh-huh. So there's two time wars. There's that one and then there's the one in the books, which, um, yeah, builds up over the next 60-odd books or so. Before we began. So I think Alien Bodies is a good one to start with, as I say there. Yeah. So just so many, though, it's hard to pin down, awesome. you know. Well, Jessica, what are your final thoughts on Paul McGann and the Eighth Doctor? I accept him as canon. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that my initial start was a little wonky because of the film, but uh, he's very much become a doctor that I think a lot of mm, listening to mm-hmm. Big Finish. Mm. So uh, Big Finish definitely gets a lot of credit for giving Paul McGann more of a chance to mm. to show his doctor off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, but Richard, we're we're thankful for all you're doing and all you continue to do. But but what is your your final thoughts on your Doctor, um, the Eighth Doctor? Oh, I, I think for me, the Eighth Doctor really um, epitomizes the fact that Doctor Who can work in several different mediums. It really emphasizes for me the idea that Doctor Who is a is a not to sound too hyperbolic, but it's it's a mythos that can be enjoyed and explored mm. in different mediums. And that's why I know I'm, you know, I, I, I would be very upset if the show was cancelled. But at some point, it will be. It's not going to finish because you can't finish it. If you did, we, I'd be even more <laughs> cross, you know, if they actually had an ending and, then you know, the Doctor yes. died or something. Um, I think, you know, it should end very much like the classic series did. And I think Paul McGann's Doctor 
acts as a as an example that even when that happens it will still carry on and go on forwards and maybe at some point in another 25 years or so it will get resurrected again with the 24th doctor or something <laughs> all because of that example that it lived on and it kept it going because if there hadn't been that audience and there hadn't been people listening to Paul McGann's audios on Big Finish, etc., then I don't think the BBC would have been taken the risk, if you like, of bringing back the show if Russell T. Davis, Davis couldn't say, look, there's an audience for this. So I think that's what we owe. Mm. Well, we all know that, yeah, but we all know the Doctor's going to retire, get married <laughs> to his companion, and something involving Dalek bombs. <laughs> yeah. I was aghast at the time when that when so. that comic relief thing came on. I was like, "What have they done?" Because I was a bit too young, I think, to appreciate some of the humor. But uh, yeah, I see it for the affectionate parody yes. it is. <laughs> well, and, and and I think I, you're you're probably going to uh, motivate Jessica to look up this Richard Grant because ah. she is all about well. You Richard see, that was the thing, and and the that five was the seconds we was, get in that. was he. Yes. After yeah. being in Withnell and I with Paul McGann, it was kind of like, well, Paul McGann's the doctor, so the next one's got to yes. be Withnell, you know. Um, I, I loved him as the great intelligence in the new series. Um, but uh, yeah, there was this yes. there was yep. this cartoon, Scream of the Shalker, which uh, was pretty much official Doctor Who, as I say. it was They thought, well, it will carry out a bit like Star Trek did with its animated series in the 70s, wasn't it? And oh, they yes. got the voices yes. back, uh, the actors to yes. voice them and everything, didn't they? Um, and I, I think that's what they thought. Yep. It's just that the new series came along and gazumped it really for them. Um, so you know what what might have been. I mean, personally, I, I'm not. I don't really think that incarnation works that well. But I think that was more because of the production issues rather than Russell Lee, uh, Russell Lee Grant. Uh, Richard E. Grant. It's my name, and I forgot Richard. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much we love Richard E. Grant. Uh, yeah. Makes oh, you forget he, your own name. Yeah, he would have been an interesting doctor, that's for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, well, you see what you think, but yeah, he's he's much more like the first doctor. He's quite dark and dismissive and uh like that rather than the version that he played in the curse of fatal death where he's licking the mirror and everything <laughs> yeah <laughs> sexy doctor <laughs> licking the mirror. i loved that see I we got the war doctor and the sexy doctor that's right. know, that's all, uh, uh, although i can see richard e grant mm, doing mm. the dark well, yeah. he usually does doesn't yeah. he yeah with yeah he's like a sober with oh. doctor <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if you oh. can imagine such a thing. Well, Richard, I, w- I want you to, to fight your natural uh, Britishness. I want you to do some <laughs> self-promotion here. Um, where where can folks you know see all your wonderful stuff? And what else um, are are you producing on Doctor Who or not? Oh, well, Who um, well, I, my YouTube channel is uh, Clever Dick Films. Um, I I don't for the record. I hate being called Dick, but I thought that was too catchy or, or too clever not to use. Um, so Clever Dick Films it is. Yep. And now everyone calls me Clever Dick, and well, I'll just deal with it. But uh, yeah, that's on YouTube. And then I have a, I have a Facebook page, uh, which uh, I really should uh, update more often. But I, I created it before I could do community posts on YouTube, where I could update subscribers as to when videos were going to be copyright claimed and all this kind of thing. Um uh, and I, I don't really use other social media. Um, I'm currently uh, working on the part 10, it will be, about Christopher Eccleston uh, and a little bit about the scream of the Schalke, Richard E. Grant Doctor at the beginning. 
Um, but they they do take a lot of time between work and life and and everything, you know, to get the research and to do the quality. But mm. so far, according to most people, I've maintained a level of quality. So uh, so yeah, about three months or so. Of course, I've only just done the the Paul McGann one, and that was a real slog. As I say, it took me six and a half months or so. So I won't have the the Chris Ruckelson one done very soon. Um, but but not it won't be as long a wait as it was between seven and eight because it will be a slightly well I say now famous housewives it will be a slightly shorter video because <laughs> obviously I'm I, I mean everyone thought the Paul McGann video was going to be the shortest but uh, yeah um, the the Chris yeah. obviously one season and yeah I'm going to look at the you know how it came back and all that kind of thing and I'm going to need to do a bit more research to be you know try to get to the to the ins and outs of exactly what went down before and after. Um, I'm also continuing to uh, work on a on an audio book that, um, incidentally, I mean it might not be everyone's cup of tea, but one of the one of my first Doctor Who books that I read was a Sylvester McCoy past Doctor adventure called Matrix, which was a, um, a sort of gothic horror thriller uh, Victorian story and linked in with Jack the Ripper because um, Jack the Ripper's basically got to get in science fiction in one way or another. I mean, he's in Star Trek, he's in <laughs> Babylon 5, uh, yeah, Babylon he's in everything. Five. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's even in a in a little sitcom. We used to have a time-travelling sitcom called Goodnight Sweetheart, where this guy goes back to the World War Two, and then he finds his time portal and goes back and finds Jack the Ripper and he gets run over by a bus. So, you know, he works into every science fiction form. But anyway, no, Matrix <laughs> is, is a good book, and I, yeah. I've been... Uh, I wanted, basically, to... to flex my skills really a bit like big finish and do a sort of sound design and things like that so it's me reading it but uh, i've got all doing all sound effects so that that's taken me forever and ever but i'm still i'm still working on that and right now i'm going insane Bye. and driving my wife even more insane by the fact that i'm trying to build the william hartnell tardis interior exact replica in cgi which sounds like a completely pointless waste of time but my plan um, this is an exclusive. You get this first. My plan is that oh, I will do some sort of like walking, talking tour of the TARDIS. It's only a sort of a, a small inkling in my mind at the moment, but I want it so it will be like a first-person travel through the TARDIS, and you'll see all the controls and what they do and things like that. Welcome to the exactly, time exactly. I thought it'd be, be something <laughs> a bit different. Um, so I've never done any. I've done some CG stuff before, but not to this kind of scale or or, or extent so we'll see my computer might explode at some point because it's getting more and more complicated every time i touch it but that's what uh-huh. i that's what i'm that's what i'm working on at the moment anyway well that's awesome and we're like i say we we appreciate all the hard work obviously you're very passionate about it and then that's why we well, enjoy you're your most videos welcome. yes that's what it's for all right well thank you and we look forward to uh everything you're producing in the thank future thank you lovely to speak to you when you close your eyes i go to the library Go to the library now. For our Into the TARDIS library segment, we recently visited the cinema to watch Doctor Who. We did indeed. I always enjoy doing that. A uh, little bit of food, a little bit of beer, a little bit of David Tennant. Hooray! Right. We saw, thanks to Fathom Events as always, The End of Time, The Tenth Doctor's Final Journey, and that premiered Christmas Day 2009. And would you like to read the synopsis for... Uh, This two-parter that we saw was a (laughs) one-parter. Yes, please. It is the Tenth Doctor's final journey. 
But his psychotic nemesis, the Master, has been resurrected on Christmas Eve. Each determined to cheat death, the battle rages from the abandoned wastelands of London to the mysterious Immortality Gate, whilst the alien Ood warn of an even greater danger approaching as a terrible shadow falls across the entire universe. With the sound of the drums growing louder in the master's head and an ancient trap closing around the earth, the doctor and Wilfred Mott must fight alone. Sacrifices must be made, and the deadly prophecy warns he will knock four times. That was that was that was good sound effects, baby. Well done. Yes, luckily we have wood nearby. <laughs> Um, so yeah, well, what, let's let's talk extras first before we get into the actual presentation. So the because I always I've always I didn't know what extras there would be, cause, but there always are. Yep. Um, so we had David Tennant, of course, as we said. Um, the sort of pre-show was basically David just answering random questions about what he prefers, cake or biscuits. Well, that was that was fun. That was fun. He said cake, and I was a little disappointed. But he said he wanted kick biscuits. Ah, he wanted <laughs> kick biscuits out of the bed. He wouldn't kick biscuits out of the bed. <laughs> and then for, for leaving crumbs, I yeah. don't know how that works, really. But uh, as a saying, but I like it. Um, but after the presentation, uh, it was more of an in-depth interview uh, about Doctor Who. And so, did you learn anything, or what did you enjoy about? David Tennant's thoughts on Doctor Who here in 2019. I just enjoy listening to David Tennant, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, did I learn anything new? Jamie Dodgers? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What, what about you? Did you pick up any new info? Um, I'm trying to think, because I, I, again, like you said, it, it was all good and very interesting to listen to, and I don't know if they'll ever include it if they do a, you know, because theoretically, theoretically there's a Blu-ray collection coming out uh, one of these months actually next month um <laughs> which is i guess the reason they were doing it but it wasn't very promoted because usually it's all like tom baker or season whatever on blu-ray so come watch legopolis but this is sort of like i don't know we're showing end of time and i don't know just in passing david Tennant's on blu-ray if you whatever though you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean usually it's like the whole reason yeah but now it was just very interesting about his time on doctor who um about being a doctor who fan and so I think it's very interesting that you've had both Peter and David, of course, both Scotsmen, um, but both as Doctor Who fans and talking about that experience of mm-hmm. watching Doctor Who and then being on Doctor Who and then watching it afterwards because he said his kids still would watch, you know, what what Doctor Who is on now. You know, he talked about talking with um, Chris Chibnall and yes. working with Jody yep. and talking yep. with Jody. Yeah. And talking to Jody on the phone, Chris Chibnall saying the Thirteenth Doctor is going to call you, and he's like, "Well, I suppose Jody could have just been calling, you know, <laughs> randomly at that moment. He's in my mobile, you know." But then also to hit Russell about, you know, what would he miss not getting Russell scripts um, and things like that, and uh, and being on the fiftieth with Matt, yeah, um, and John Hurt, and you know about coming back, uh, you know, and how he feels comfortable, or you know, about that, so. You know, whether he can still make his hair go spiky. Uh, yeah, yep, yep. So, yeah. No, it, it was a really, it was an odd, to me it was an odd camera work. Yes. Because it's sort of like his face is very, like his literal face is very distinct, but everything else is fuzzy. 
and I don't know how they shot it. It was just whatever the cinematographer, or, you know, inter documentarian was very interesting. Uh, but anyway, so but the end of time itself, um, which you've seen before, yes. <clears throat> watching it for a, a newer time, or would you, would you sort of think of his final journey? Oh, I just love Bernard Cribbins <laughs> so so much. He just stole it right out from under both David Tennant and John Sims. Is that right? Ugh, ugh, and the the Silver Brigade, <laughs> just delightful i just just find bernard cribbin so charming <laughs> right i mean he's when you 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 know more about him than i do having read his biography but coming from a predominantly comic background mm-hmm. you know this is obviously a dramatic you know you can still do comedy which he does in in this episode episodes episode but obviously there's no one who can sort of do the the crying or the or the the watery yes. eyes yes of oh just leave me in here yeah. you know and the the i don't want you to die uh, yeah but you know david Tennant's it would be my honor right. just this oh and there's so much lovely chemistry between the two of them mm-hmm. i think so well, yeah well that was one of the things david Tennant talked about in his interview was i think he said one of his favorite acting moments, I don't know whether as a viewer or as the actor, of at the end when the doctors sort of vanquish the Time Lords and the Master and he thinks he's beaten death and then he hears the sound of Wilfred knocking and just having to play that. You mm-hmm. know. Yes. That crap. Yeah. I missed it. I missed the clues. I missed, you know, misinterpreted the whole thing. And that it was always coming. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it was interesting because I've always seen... very very Greek. You know, you try very hard to escape the the, the prophecy, yes. the oracle. Yes, and it's going to get you when you least expect. Next thing you know, you've killed your father, you've married your mother. It's all gone wrong, and then there's civil war between your children. It just never ends well when you try to escape the oracle. That's right. But yeah, it was it was because this is not generally my favorite. Um last doctor story and i think it, it's all right i just think there's not a lot i mean i don't know I mean, it's russell i'm not trying to you know great writer russell but it's just there's not much to me there's not much to the story until like two-thirds of the way in because mm. it's sort of like okay you know there's these couple or no it's not i always think it's a couple it's not as a father and daughter they just always look like a couple but there's yeah. this father and daughter and they want to live forever through alien technology but and, it's also a little bit of how has this nothing is really explained yeah, particularly the brilliantly the back as a ghost or something yeah, yeah and don't get me wrong john sims is brilliant absolutely brilliant as the master and he's one of my favorite masters but this was a little bit too hysterical all the time yeah i mean just being hungry the whole time i mean I don't, I'm not, I don't mean overly critical, but I mean, if I'm going to be, it's just yeah. re- it was repetitive. I mean, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. You know, that's the whole, that's him being... Knock, 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 yeah. knock, knock. It gets yeah. a little annoying at times, actually, yeah. to be honest. Like, I mean, like, when the part where he's sort of taken over everyone, then he's sort of more himself as the master, you know, the, the crazy Prime Minister Saxton that we saw. But everything around that is just yeah. sort of annoying. The Time Lord stuff is interesting, but again, I think we miss bits, because the lady... With her face covered, who has clearly been visiting Wilfred. <laughs> yeah. it, is she his mother? Doc, is, the doctor's is, yeah. yeah. Is, is that the... I don't think that's canon, but I think that that's the conspiracy theory, that's isn't cons- it? I mean, it is. I mean, that's what I've always posited. I mean, 
you know, because there's two during the final vote who, you know, or who voted no, and it's a man and a woman. I mean, not to be, you know, uh, hetero or whatever, but I mean, that could be the doctor's parents. It doesn't have to be, but it could be. I mean, it could be his children for all we know, you know. Yeah. It doesn't, you know. Maybe the, that's Susan's mom. I don't know. Yeah. The, <laughs> the lady just seems particularly invested right. in the doctor, not just the situation. And, and, but we don't get a clear explanation of it. Because I feel like this is, and this is my opinion, one of these stories that if you look too closely, it starts falling apart. So don't look, look too closely and just enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, because like, it is totally enjoyable. I thoroughly oh, yeah. enjoy it. But, but like, you know, she wants Wilford to take up, well, and you know, how do you interpret the statement? But to take up arms, whatever that means, which is sort of, one thinks, antithetical to the doctor. Um, but is I it, mean, it's definitely antithetical right. to the doctor. He says, no, don't give me that gun. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a good, you know, 10-minute scene with the gun going back and forth. Yeah. And then when he's finding that Gallifrey's coming, he grabs the gun. Cause, and, and I think it's one of those, I don't know if, if you agree or not, but watching Doctor Who, well, New Who, but I mean, yeah, New Who as a whole, because it's all Time War, time war stuff, that like I feel like someone could do a master cut and then it'll all be like, oh my gosh, it does make sense. And it does make sense, but it's just so like in five second, 30 second scenes throughout 10 years, there's been the time war. And you, I don't know if they're wanting it to make sense so it does make sense or they're just making it up. Because, for instance, you know, this thing of like the Time Lords are coming and then Ten's like, oh yeah, I'll grab the gun. And then we just talked about Night of the Doctor, about the reputation of the Time Lords with... What's her name? Yeah, Hugin's, the girl. Who ends up crashing with the Eighth Doctor, that that's what the Time Lords represent, and that's who they are. And so when he tries telling the Master, you don't know what they were like at the end. And so, and then we have in the end of time. The, <laughs> and of course, neither do we! <laughs> <laughs> and then you have the scene with the Rassilon and the, you know, Council, where they say the Doctor has left with the moment, which... Is the war doctor? I mean, of course, this isn't for another couple more years that that's the war doctor with the moment, you know. And so all these things that keep dripping, but they only come together. You know, it's very. Odd. I mean, it's good. I don't know. It, to me, it's 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 rewarding as a fan. But like, I didn't know what the you know. It's a one line. The doctor's with the moment. What does that mean to anyone at that time? Was yeah. it referenced before? Because it doesn't come out until the fiftieth anniversary. So, and was that the plan, or is it just? Because it's what? different writers. That's Russell, yes, and that's Stephen. Yeah. Who's gonna, you know? I don't know. So maybe we need somebody else, not us, because <laughs> we're not going to do that uh, to to rough cut all of these the and time see. Is... Yeah, or in... maybe we need to be listening to more of John Hurt's <clears throat> Big Finish. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the, there's a time more Big Finish with the Eighth Doctor, but then even the scene with in the Twelfth Doctor episode. Is it Heaven Sent? Anyway, where we see that general from the 50th anniversary in the 12th Doctor episode. Or no, maybe it is the 50th one where they're saying, you know, the Time or the time Lords or the Time Lord Council is doing their own plots. Because basically when the end of time meeting is, is when the general meeting is so that we see in the 50th. You know, it's all... But I mean, anyway, it's cool. But all that to say, I think my... I mean, is there any part other than the ending that you wanted to highlight or that you really enjoyed? I mean, we get Donna, of course... Yeah, and again, I just always think the Donna thing, especially with Wilfred, you know, with those watery eyes going, you know, she just sometimes looks lost, and oh, can't you put her memory back? And mm-hmm. 
Ugh, it's just so heartbreaking. Although she does get it back briefly, doesn't she? I mean, theoretically. Yeah, yeah without her head exploding, but then she passes out and wakes up and yeah. everything's... Forgotten. Forgotten yeah. again, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and again, the Silver Brigade. Yeah. I was sad that they didn't have more to do with the denouement. I right. I think that would have been lovely. Um, and, yeah, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, the most of the story, you know, it, it was good to watch, but, I mean, I just wait until, like, he's dead. And then I'm like, oh, this this is the part I'm here for where he gets to, you know, get his reward. Yeah, basically, like, when he hears the four knocks from Bernard, um, that's kind of, to me, when the best part from then to the mm-hmm. end. Um, because, you know, you get that sort of speech and him dying and, and, uh, we sort of get that regeneration thing that we, because it's the first time, right? Because 9 didn't have this and no one else has before. But what will come out even to 11 um, and even 12, this whole thing about after they get killed, quote unquote, they sort of have that soft regeneration. Mm-hmm. Um, so like 11 turns young, 12 gets to clear his his uh, wounds and has a whole Christmas story. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yep. so, gets to go back to World War Two. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. One. Oh, sorry. Yes, yeah. of course. And Tim gets to go revisit. Yeah. And, of course, it always brings tears to my eyes when he shows up at the book signing. Yeah, and... that's, uh, the John Smith episode. Yeah, because I think, like, if you had asked me, like, you know, Tim's going to revisit, make the list, um, I, I wouldn't have chosen that, I mean, off the top of my head, because it's, it's a one-episode reference, right? You know, as opposed to, like, Sarah Jane or, or Martha or, you know, all of his companions, of course. Like, every doctor gets to kind of do that. But, I mean, as you say, it's a heartfelt one. Obviously, one that would have stayed with him. Yes. This tenth doctor. Yeah. You know. Because he wanted to, part of him really wanted to stay with her. And, That's right. Yeah. And seeing Rose before he meets Rose, which I think is a lot of fun. Because, I mean, in some ways, I I mean, whether it was meant to be the tenth doctor with Rose and that's the way you do it. Or whether it's Russell revisiting his beginning because this is of course russell t davis's last time as showrunner and I writer i like that you know, that's so he, nice he revisits the beginning um and i like that of course my favorite part one i enjoyed the most I'll, i don't know if it's is the captain jack not only because captain oh, jack yeah. but because you get that whole space bar with all the Although references you really genuinely do expect exactly yeah but just all the random aliens from the 10th doctor the era right and the Yes. And the Jadoon. I always remember it because it reminds me of the moon. Jadoon yeah. on the moon. <laughs> the Jadoon on the moon. Um, yeah. And even like they have like the white and red guys from the one with Martha, Martha and the Traffic Jam. The episode's called A Word for Traffic Jam that I'm liking right now. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and uh, so yeah, I just love all these crammed all the references in there. Yeah. And, and then, then Alonzo. Alonzo. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, what am I thinking right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, uh, yeah. That's and a... the music is from, you know, the, the song that the is going on in the bar is from um, Daleks in Manhattan, um, from that singer. So, yeah, they just put everything together. I love that. Yeah. So, and then, of course, you get the, the ending with the, with the song Valley Decum. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce that. C in Latin. Which I is wonderful. Dechum. Dechum. Yeah, probably right. Valley Dechum. You know, and the music and the ood and the milking the regeneration for all it's worth. Yeah, the sing him to sleep. You know, and then the destruction of the TARDIS so we can reset for <laughs> the, the next people. And But I, it was, it was, I mean, this sounds so stupid, but like with the regeneration and the 11th Doctor, 
you know, it's always been like, oh, it's Matt. He's young. You know, he's which he's always been young, but you know, super young in this. And whatever, it does not really count. But I could, I mean, and it's going to sound stupid, but I could really see the 11th Doctor this time that I usually haven't before. Just because, you know, his hair is different by the time he does, you know, his own series. But um, it was kind of funny to see the 11th Doctor's first appearance and him being very 11th Doctory from the very start. Oh, yeah. I'm a girl! <laughs> okay. Crashing. <laughs> um, but yeah, just, you know, it's because it's one of those things like you just think, I mean, what can you do in 30 seconds? You know, Matt Smith can do a lot. But with having seen seconds. all of Matt Smith, you're like, no, that was him from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah it's really, really nice. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So any thoughts about the f- end of time? I, uh, you mean generally or this particular? <laughs> Are you pro film? or <laughs> yes. sort of anti end of time? Uh, no, I I enjoyed it. I yeah, it has some of my favorite things, not least of which, once again. Bernard Cribbins. Yes. For the win. So we've talked about the end of time. and How much fun would Bernard Cribbins and Matt Smith be? Interesting. So much fun. <laughs> so much fun. Yeah. You just have to Google the, or go on YouTube to find the Nevermind the Buzzcocks episode hosted by, hosted by David Tennant with um, Bernard Cribbins and Catherine Tate um, that we've seen. They're both very fun. Well, now um, I want to see it again. Sure, I remember it. Yeah, let's do that again. Um, but yeah, but since we're doing end of time, and since we talked with Richard about sort of the end of the classic series, sort of the end of his videos, not you know for at least <laughs> while we're doing our series, so we're going to probably end our season. There's no such thing as seasons in podcast, um, but we're going to end this season here. So we're probably going to take a couple weeks off because we tend to go forty to forty, and this will be our eightieth episode. Wow. Yeah, I know. So um, we'll probably. Probably won't start again until the first week of September. What's the what's the gift for the 80th? I don't know. We'll find out. What, yeah, what when, when people start to give us stuff. Good point. Right, yeah, so that's exciting. So we'll rest and recharge and regenerate and uh, for a couple of weeks. So until then, enjoy watching, listening, and reading about the Doctor's adventures throughout time, time and, and space. This is BBC Television.